all the same mental skills that we teach high performers are valuable for everyday people. All the things we've been talking about are valuable in CrossFit, but they're also valuable for your home life. There's also this change in how people are thinking about things, about like work-life balance. And people don't really know how to bridge those two things. So to me, life is sport combines those ideas. It's saying you can live your life like a sport. You can use all those techniques and philosophies and competitiveness that athletes use to be a great dad and to be a great husband, a great wife, a great partner. Um, and that you can bring that same spirit of being your best self to all aspects of your life, not just your job, but your entire self. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good, Patrick. Thank you. Good. We are joined today by Dr. Jonathan Fader. Thank you so much for joining us, Doctor. I know you like to be referred to as Fader, but I'm going to call you Doctor at least once. Fader. Yeah, listen, you know, you can draw, you can do the Doctor if you really want to. Everybody calls me Fader. I like to actually, I like Ben's background Fader. It makes me sound like I actually have some superpower. Yeah. Like I can like cool. lift people up. He is your father. You know what? Like, I'm, I'm liking this. I think we should just, Ben, can you talk in that voice for the whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole time? <laughs> yeah, they won't get old. They won't get old at all. Um, <laughs> for folks who don't know, um, Dr. Fader is a licensed clinical and performance psychologist. He's worked with professional athletes in the MLB, NFL, and teams like the New York Mets and the New York Giants. He regularly works with athletes, performers, entrepreneurs, businesses, schools, physicians, and first responders. He's the author of Life as Sport and host of the podcast, The Great Parts. Very excited to dive into this conversation with you, Fader. One of the things I wanted to, <laughs> just got a fist bump from Ben. Um, I wanted to just start off with, you know, Ben and I just actually had a, a his name's Tim Grover. He was, he was Michael Jordan's first uh, trainer or only trainer. And he just came out with a book called Winning. And we just had a co really cool conversation with him. And so I was thinking about that conversation as we were kind of thinking about this one and preparing for this one and looking at your work. And one of the starkest contrasts between him and his work and how he sees things and yours, as much as I think you guys get to the same place, is you seem to be putting an, uh, much more of an emphasis on enjoyment or joy in this process of becoming an elite athlete, becoming uh, more mentally uh, disciplined, more mentally tough than he did, right? We had a good conversation with him and not once did I get the sense of, wow, that, that process sounds fun. <laughs> that, yeah. that sounds like a, a process that somebody's going to enjoy going. And it's not right or wrong, of course. But so I wanted to just throw it out to you and, um, and start the conversation there. Where does joy and enjoyment come in the process of, or in the process that you've uh, seen uh, an elite athlete go through to become that elite athlete. You know, I don't know why, Patrick. Maybe it's like, you know, Ben's Jedi voice or something that got me thinking as you were talking. But I was just thinking about my focus on joy and where it came from. And, and I, I've never talked about this before, but I, you guys ever read the book or know the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Yep. Yeah, this is a book that um, was written, I don't know, like a long time ago, but it just talks about the like thinking about being on a motorcycle and how it is a paradigm or like a model for life. And one of the things in that book that really hit me as I read it, I, I rode motorcycles in my life. And, um, you know, is this idea of what's different between a motorcycle, driving a motorcycle and driving a car. What like from you guys, like when you think about that, what do you think is different? Like from, I don't know, do you have, have either you read or rode a motorcycle ever? I have, I have not, but I could imagine it would be, um, um, more um, excitement, more risk, more freedom, more connectedness. More yeah, like, yeah. yeah, connected to the road type thing. Well, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like you're connected to what's happening around mm. you, right? And and um, and actually the things that you're saying too is interesting because all those things you're saying, risk and freedom, those are all very much part of being an elite athlete and a performer, right? And 
And, and, you know, one of the ways that they talk about in the book is like in a car, you're kind of like watching your surroundings on TV Hmm. or on a motorcycle. You are part of it. Like you're in it, you're in the surroundings as you go down the road. And I think a lot of times about that in life, right? Like, you know, for me, I think, you know, as you drive down the road of being an elite performer, like say, you know, I've had the most experience working with athletes, you know, who are football players and baseball players, you know, you're kind of driving like this, right? Your hands on the wheel, you're just looking at the road so hard, right? And what comes from that, that's what got you there. Like if you didn't look at the road and compete and, and put your foot on the gas as hard as you could, you wouldn't have gotten to where you are. Yet, and there's this fear, like if I look out the window and take in the countryside, I might not be racing as far as I can, or I could get injured or something like that. But what I found is that when you're at a high stage of the game, you can learn to look out the window. Um, what I mean by that specifically is you can learn to be immersed in your experience, think about what you're feeling, have gratitude, have connection, uh, share your experience with others. Um, and, and what happens actually for most people is that it informs how you drive. And it, there isn't this sense of like, if I, don't, if I don't have my pedal to the metal all the time, I'm not going to get where I need to go. Another aspect to this is just a philosophy of life for me. It's like, to me, relationships and meaning and connection are what drives me and have led to the most happiness for me, collaboration. This is what I think is at the center of being a human being. And if you're missing that, I think you're missing a big point of um, what it means to be a human being in the end. What, what good is a trophy, what good is a win if you don't have a, a connection to what you're doing? Um, that's going to resonate so much with our, with our listeners is what we talk about all the time on this podcast is, you know, connection and um, mindfulness and positivity and gratitude, um, relationships, meaning, um, center yourself to create fulfillment in your lives. All, can we, uh, so I love this. I'm really excited about where this is going to go. Can we zoom out a little bit? What, or maybe it's not even zoom out, maybe it's zoom in. Um, how, do you, how does your practice work? Do you meet with somebody one-on-one? -on -one? Do you um, go to teams and present to them in uh, the team meeting room? Do you um, work with the coaches and the coach sends you people that uh, they think you should meet with? What's, like, what's the, what is the practice of your profession look like on a, when, if you're going to work with the Giants, the New York Giants, what does that look like? So there's a, there's a very famous psychiatrist, this guy, Irving Yalom. He's an expert on group therapy. And he wrote a lot of novels about like the therapeutic process too. And what he says is, you know, you have to invent a new way of being for each client that you have. Hmm. And I firmly believe that. I learned a word, a fancy word a long time ago called ideologue. That's someone who just has one way of doing something and is invulnerable to other feedback or ideas. My quest is to, is to um, really bring my background, my training, my philosophy and say, I'm going to invent. If you come to me, Ben, and say, look, I'm an elite trainer. I'm a leader in the field of CrossFit and I want to get better. I'm going to say, OK, look, I, I know about how to do things, but I'm going to really craft a unique way of coaching um, for you. Now, to me, though, to answer your question more concretely, like what I found is that teams and organizations need something different than individuals. And typically when I go to work with a team or a group, I'm actually thinking about how do I create a value-based idea that's going to live organically beyond me? When I leave this organization, how can I instill a set of processes and philosophies and thoughts that when I leave this place are going to continue on? I'm looking to be a culture influencer in a way that the things I teach whether that's on a, like a skill, mental skills level, like teaching people about how to do things differently with their brains or collaboration and communication, that the things I, I instill will, will go on. So, you know, I, I think basically what I, what I work with people is the product, I think, for an individual of the work I do is that when they leave working with me, they'll have an improved um, routine. They'll have an improved way of behaving in the world that involves how they think and how they act. It, it, can you give um, some uh, some um, context to what that might look like in terms of those processes, the thoughts? I like the idea of this 
culture influencer and um, reprogramming routines? What might be something that like in terms of a team, what sort of culture things are you trying to shift, um, leave behind? And then for individuals on the individual basis, what are those um, changes in habits or uh, behaviors you're looking for? I mean, I think the greatest secret, uh, Ben, that people don't really focus, like, first of all, everybody's afraid. All organizations are deeply fearful of change. It's scary, right? Like, and no one wants to speak out. Everyone wants to keep, they say they want change, but they want the status quo because if they, if someone steps out and says something different, well, it's scary. Um, And it can mean you'd be ostracized. So oftentimes I'm like, like a kind of like a a little, like a chief for hire. They'll bring me in for a little bit. I'm non-threatening and I can help them through an organizational change. The two things, non-threatening. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. I mean, once once you you only put the voice in when you're like deeply embedded, you know, then you start taking people like, you know, by their, you know, lifting them, levitating them up and stuff like that. Then you bring in the Death Star and just blow me. Exactly. Joy, me. You know, joy sounds so different when you're in the in the fader voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I think you know when you when you go in, the t- the things that I think most organizations really need are um, clarity about who's doing what and and helping people to know their job and to and to accept it. That's one. And then this concept of, of psychological safety, being able to trust each other. I mean, there's so much out there on whether it's a military organization or the work we've done with fire departments or, you know, really trust is the magic elixir. And then there are ways to develop that. So a lot of times we focus on that. How do you develop more connection and trust um, within a team? And largely what that looks like is having people in, you know, less formal ways say who they are and talk about themselves beyond being an athlete. I know one of the things that you and I share is this idea of people first. And, you know, I think that help, helping people to, to have um, an easy path to revealing who they truly are to each other is like a, is one of the biggest strengths of working with a team or a group of individuals to help them perform better. So I, I, I'm, um, I love the the subject of trust, and I couldn't agree more that it is kind of paramount to any relationship, whether it's a coach athlete, peer to peer, and certainly when you get in the dynamics of the the corporate world, um, where everything is kind of exponential, and um, trust seems to be the the missing link. That, but um, Fader, it's it's also seems so soft, like trust, like we're gonna bring in the trust guy. Um, and you're going to talk to us about how to trust one another. And we're going to share our feelings. Um, we have to hit quarterly numbers or we got to, um, survive so we don't go out of business next month. Like how do you go about convincing the type A's or the hard chargers or the skeptics that trust is worth the pursuit? Really good question. I mean, I, I don't, first of all, I mean, I think that you have to show them an experience. You can't, you can't tell, convince people. You just have to get them in an experience where they experience it for themselves. So I was thinking about, you know, the different things I've done, whether it's in like a business or a hedge fund or um, a football team. And largely, um, you know, people have to, I always say like, you might want to serve, you know, a chicken dinner, but you have to make a chicken McNuggets for people to eat. So if you want people to talk about trust, you have to do it in a way that people are going to be able to as you said, it's going to be culturally acceptable. Uh, you know, in the NFL, uh, I was working with a team and they brought in someone to talk about um, like relationships and, you know, talking to your wife or your partner. And, you know, what the, what the guy said uh, really hit me home. He said, you know, what is the one emotion that for, that's acceptable, socially acceptable for men to be able to demonstrate? Like, so I'll ask you to like, you know, you two men, what, what's the one emotion that men can display? And it's, it's okay for them to display it. In other words, they're not going to get teased for it. Um, no one's going to say it's soft. I would say something like pride or um, confidence, something like that. Yeah. But what about emotion? Like go to an emotion. Mm. Anger. Yeah. Anger. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say the word that came to my mind was like frustration. Yeah. Anger yeah. and frustration. Like that's yeah. okay. Right. So you have to find a way to make it. So I'll give an example of it and we can even, 
you know, so that's so weird though. Like that, that's the emotion that like this Brene Brown type stuff that like, yeah, we've been programmed like these, these, um, you know, stereotypical, like this is the way that we're supposed to act. And it's so counterproductive. Yeah. But even us dudes, like we want to be, I mean, you know, we, we pretend like we don't want to show our true selves, but we do. I mean, and and if you Mm -hmm. think about all the work, you know, like Sebastian Younger's work about tribe, right? Like Mm -hmm. he came and spoke to us at the FDNY once and, you know, all this work. And if you haven't read the book, it's just about like people come back from war and kind of want to go back to war and they don't want to go kill people or risk their lives. They want to go back to that brotherhood. They want to go back to that sisterhood. That's what they want. And so we all crave this. And you could talk about it as trust. You could talk about it as togetherness or you could talk about it as team. Right. And using the right words, to your point, Ben, is important. Right. Like so to give you an example of this, I, don't, I like to talk to athletes instead of using imagery or visualization, I say mental reps. Because that's like a, a way of describing it that makes more sense to people, right? Mental reps. So, you know, for me, the idea of trust, the way that you get at that, for example, like in the workshops I've done with teams or football, I'll have them do yes and uh, sketch comedy together, right? Because then they have a chance of being vulnerable a little bit and seeing each other. And then you move into other things. Like I'll give you one exercise. We can do it. Now you guys up for a quick exercise? Yep, let's do it. Yeah, it's really simple. So I'll ask you today, like the three of us, we're here. We're going to share something about ourselves that no one knows. So it'll be harder for you and Patrick because you guys know each other much better. But just think for a second of something that no one knows about you, right? And, you know, I usually start out with people saying, let's do this PG, right? So we're not going to do anything that's <laughs> going to get this this uh, podcast canceled. But, you know, like... What- or, more, or more listeners. <laughs> yeah, we're more like, exactly right. Or more listen, right? We just yeah. just go X-rated so that everybody you're gonna have like triple your a whole listening. new audience. Exactly. I don't know if you want the audience, but anyway. So just think of something like Patrick um, that that Ben doesn't know about you. No one knows this about you. Like zero. Not even your partner. Your kids don't know this. Um, you know about you. I'll give oh, you. Man. I'll give you. I'll give you one. Right. No one knows it's about me. So my mom passed away in November. Um, it's been a spiritual journey for me. And, you know, one of the things I do, I, I say a prayer for her every day. And one of the things I do is there's a tree outside of my window. And after I say the prayer, uh, I blow a kiss towards the tree as like sending a message of connection to her. Right. And no one knows that about, it. no one knows that not even my kids, right? Like that just came to mind here. There's zero people that, I mean, maybe uh, to be fair, they sometimes open the door, see I'm doing a little prayer, and they like close the door. So maybe they saw me do it. Um, but no one knows that about me. And so you don't have to go that deep, right? So you can you can go at your pace. You can say whatever you want. You don't have to like get all as deep as I. But just something that neither that you both of you uh, could share that no one knows about you. Not your kids. Not your partner. Not each other. You got, you want to go, Pat? Uh, you go first if you've got something. Um, when I brush my teeth, I have an electric toothbrush that buzzes every two minutes uh, when you're done. Um, I always brush for four. I don't, I, I, it's, I don't know. I, I, that is, that is such a Ben Bergeron <laughs> secret. I, so, I don't, and- I don't know why I do it. I just feel like two is not enough. And I feel like I should be brushing for four. And when, when you're doing that, like, what kind of things do you think about? Nothing. It's just the way I do it. It's just, I no, just no, but like during the four minutes, usually oh. what goes through your mind? Like um, you're doing that, four minutes is a long time. So uh, like, most of the time it's about my teeth. I'm really trying to like focus on, I'm honestly, I, I'm big into teeth. Four minutes, bro? Yeah. Like I'm really, either that, well, I also, okay, here's another, as I brush my teeth in the shower. Um, so I'm in the shower brushing my teeth and it's, uh, not at night, but in the morning, I'm always brushing my teeth in the shower. And if it's in the morning, um, actually, here's probably the more obvious answer, more real answer is if in, in the morning, I'm either focusing on that or um, something that's like has to do with the planning of the day. So a talk I'm going to give later on, a podcast like this, um, what I'm going to do with my athletes and my mind goes there. If it's at night, um, it's usually like trying to get my kids to bite, stop biting my ankles, um, stop pulling each other's hair, um, trying to get my kids to calm down a little bit because we all brush our teeth. We all brush it, you know, like the little ankle biters, you know, like. Um, we all brush our teeth at the same time. So, um, you know, go back in the bathroom, stop running around with your toothbrush, all that, all that type of stuff. 
plain, yeah, I love plain that, dad. The toothbrush, the toothbrush where it gives you like that. It's that's changed my toothbrushing game big time. Um, but also, I mean, it's it's cool to have that time actually because th this is an example of a routine. It's a naturally occurring routine, but I think it's really effective actually. And I think it's being able to do that in other parts of your life that people need help with. Patrick, what about you? Um, I. I don't. I don't know that I have anything quite like that, Ben. Not um, as deep or spiritual, not as or deep meaningful or, or connecting as, with the people that we've loved that past. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think the the thing that popped in my head as soon as you started asking, Fader, and and it's I don't know if it's quite this, but it but it's the thing that's in my head, and so I'm just going to say it, which is that I don't know that people would guess, but I I genuinely like it's happening right now, which is why I'm thinking about it. That I get inc incredibly self conscious when I know people are paying attention to me, which is weird. I have like three podcasts like this, like <laughs> people who know me probably wouldn't guess that, but it, but it's, but it's there. It's that's it is I tried desperately to hide it, but I don't know that I always, succeed. you hide it well. Right. So, so, so I really appreciate you sharing that. And when you think about connection, right. You can just see what's happening between the three of us now, right? So we didn't talk about trust or anything like that. We just went a little deeper, right? And that every time three people or two people do that in a group, there's a connection of safety. And what you're doing is you're increasing this idea of psychological safety. Now, I trust you guys a little bit more because we did that. But there, there, there's no, we haven't signed anything or like did some weird ceremony. We just shared something <laughs> deeply about ourselves, but no virtual trust falls, no virtual trust falls. <laughs> no, none of that. But like, and you know, by the way, I think Patrick, what you shared is really powerful, right? Because everybody feels like you feel hmm. like if you watch my TEDx talk, um, which is all about this, yep. everybody feels how Patrick feels. It's just a question of how they reveal it to the world. Every single human, it's deeply human to doubt and wonder what other humans think of you. We all have different ways of dealing with that. Some go on offense, some go on defense, some do both, right? But a lot of what gets in our way is wondering in an ineffective way about, you do it in an effective way, but wondering about what other people think, people get paralyzed by that. It really it disturbs high performers and people who are just living everyday life constantly. But anyway, so back to trust, like that's a three minute exercise. You got to build to that. Like I, I just went this way with you because we're friends. You know, I know that you can do it with the average person. You might need to build to it. You can't walk in with a group and do that day one. They will burn you alive. But, you know, like you go and you give a couple good talks about mental conditioning and confidence and imagery and mindfulness and all the gratitude. And then you go to that. You got to get people to it. They have to have some trust. And but it's super, super powerful. And even your point, you know, Ben, what you shared too makes you real to me, right? Like if I'm listening to this, I'm like this guy, he's doing all these amazing things. He's super successful. Does he even have teeth? Are those just, is this like you're born with like perfect teeth, right? Like look at those things like they're, uh, yeah. So now you're like a real person, right? It makes, it makes people real when they share these things, even that like routine and, and the idea of you thinking your kids running around, it just makes it more, it makes people more human. I love it. So um, trust, really important when we're talking about the group dynamics and the individual side, you've kind of hit all these like buzzwords. And I, I wonder if you could bring some um, either like what are some common character traits you've seen amongst the high achievers or maybe like the why behind why some of these things are impactful. But you've talked about things like um, mental reps, um, meditation, uh, gratitude, um, you know, all these type of like um, – confidence you said what what are these traits what or maybe there's a maybe there's a different list that you have like these are the the value sets i look to instill upon people or these are the ones i've seen across um different um cohorts um or can you just speak to like why because i think gratitude and mindfulness they're all the rage right now right like every, everybody's talking about these things and it, it's it can sometimes get an eye roll because it's just like yeah of course yes gratitude like think happy thoughts but maybe um, what do those things mean to you and how, do you, how, how impactful are they? I'm just laughing at your eye roll comment because I, I was in Vegas, you know, pre-pandemic giving a talk to a big corporation. And I, one of the exercises I had them do was I said, everybody, like, take out your phone, 
I'm talking about gratitude and power of gratitude. Take out your phone, text like someone in your life and say what you're grateful for, but don't forget to say why you're grateful because, you know, I always joke to people that there's this special area of the brain that if you're not really clear and specific about why you're grateful to the person, um, it's going to be affected. It's called the BS meter. And so you got to like make sure that you're, so anyway, so I'm telling them this and I'm saying, Hey, so everybody texts it. I'm saying, Hey, raise your hand. If you know, it's like 250 people, raise your hand. If someone texts you back. So I'm like talking, some guy raises his hand and I'm like, Oh yeah. Who did you, what, what did you text? Who did you text? He said, oh, I texted, I texted my wife. What did you say? I said, Oh, I'm just so grateful for all the work you do in parenting. And I'm grateful for the way that, you know, you support me when I travel. You're not only doing it like instrumentally, but you're also supporting me kind of my confidence in my job. And that's been really impactful. I was like, oh, my, that's great. You know, what did, what did she say? She said, are you drunk? <laughs> so, you know, like, it gets an eye roll because I love maybe it for two reasons. I think one is it stayed and people are. Um, talking about it a lot, but also because if not done right, it's sort of offensive. And so I think it's about how to do it right. Um, but back to your original question, Ben, which I think is a great one. The way I think about things is, um, uh, you know, in firefighting, one of my colleague, Jason Bresler, who uh, started the MPI and uh, has a group called Leadership Under Fire, you know, and works with first responders almost exclusively in leadership, um, is you know, he'll sometimes show a picture of the rig to a bunch of elite first responders of a fire truck. And he'll say, okay, what is the most important tool on this truck? Mm. And so all these firefighters or whoever, Marines, whoever we're talking to will say, uh, you know, the ladder, the, the hose. And, you know, the punchline is, no, it's the human. You know, the human is the most important tool or, or thing on this truck. And while we have manuals for every computer, every exercise equipment, whatever it is, your Peloton, there's no manual really for being a human because every human needs their own manual. And so what I'm doing with people is helping them to create their own manual for themselves. Typically what that involves is what we would call a macro conditioning plan, something that people are doing every day, could involve the things you talked about, gratitude, mindfulness, could involve prayer, could involve creativity, um, could involve mental reps, which is imagery and mental rehearsal, could involve some kind of self-messaging, could involve self-compassion, could involve dialectical behavior therapy, could involve whatever. a million different tools and strategies, but it's something that you're doing every day to get your mind right. Could involve brushing your teeth for four minutes while you rehearse the day, because many people aren't doing that. Many people are just getting up, you know, barely caffeinating. And most people, mental conditioning is just a three shot latte. Like they're not mm. focusing on like what are they doing to prepare for the day, right? Um, and then micro conditioning, which is Uh, We're developing things that you can do in the moment. So going back to Patrick, right? Most people know, hey, I'm self-conscious in these certain situations or uh, the majority of people, or here's where I'm not so great, right? Like when my tech fails, when when I'm tired, but it's having a a plan for those moments. What am I going to do when that comes up? When that, when, you know, when the predator comes around, how will I be prepared? Because these days, thank God, no, there, you know, if you're in a situation listening to this where you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Like <laughs> there's no, there's no predator out there except for our perceptions. Basically, that's the biggest predator. The biggest predator is our own perceptions and how they limit us and you know, limit what we think we can do. And so having a way to deal with doubt and uncertainty, and I don't really think about failure, I think about unwanted results, you know, your unwanted results. How do you deal with those, whether you're a trader and you're, you know, getting a, you know, a result on a particular stock or whether you go for a workout and you got 86% of what you were trying to do, how do you reset? So having a method uh, for doing that. So how, what, what do you, what is your, how do you do, redo that? 
How would you coach somebody through redoing that? What What is the mental reps? So for our listeners that actually want to like start to like incorporate this, so like Vader's the man, like I totally get it. Um, well, I don't totally get it yet, but I'm going to give this a shot. I want to be able to, um, when I'm cut off in traffic, realize it's not a saber tooth tiger. It's just some guy, instead of giving the finger, what should I do? Or boss says, I got to work on the weekend. Instead of getting all frustrated, pissed off, how can I keep this positive outlook to my life? What is that? What are the mental reps that you, um, coach people through? What should they be focusing on? Cause I love this idea of it is, it, I couldn't agree more. It's just perception, right? Like it is perception. It's the way we're walking through our lives. I, I love the idea of um, like Einstein's number one question that everyone should ask themselves. Like, do you live in a friendly or hostile world? Like that's going to shape your, that's going to shape everything more than, <laughs> I guess the, that is the answer to that question is going to shape more so than like anything else that you can do. So um, what are those mental reps that people should be working through? So let's just add to the Einstein favorite quote list that builds on what you said. And, you know, there's only two choices about how you view your life or the world. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. And so I totally believe that. Very concretely, it's like this. You need a coach. And so you can either get a coach or you can be your own coach if you are insistent mm-hmm. on doing it yourself. Although I don't recommend it. I recommend getting a mental skills coach. Um, and... You know, that mental skills coach can be anyone that's going to help you get more self-aware about what's happening in those moments. You need a way to report back about what's happening for you mentally in those traffic moments, in those things. So, like, there needs to be someone that you talk to. That It could be, by the way, it could be your barber. I don't care. But it had, there had to be someone that you're saying, this is what happens. And here's my correction. Like, this is my actual correction. By the way, when I say get a coach, I mean me. I have coaches. I have two coaches. I have a coach on, like, my overall life. Um, and then I have I actually have a coach for poker. I have coaches for, like, different things, right? But anyway, so, so what that coach should be doing with you, whether it's you or someone else, is that you should be monitoring your behavior and your life. And you should, on a regular interval, be able to say, hey, here's what I'm working on and here's how I did, the same way you would with your physicality. And the things to work on there, for the most part, are corrections and adjustments. So if when I identify with my coach, who's my mom or my friend or, or someone that I'm paying who's a mental skills coach, um, to be able to say, okay, in traffic, here's what I'm realizing I'm doing. And then have a correction. Like, so here's some corrections for traffic. The, the best ones, I think, are whenever that happens, I'm going to imagine that that person who cuts me off, what are the different reasons that that happened? I'm not going to imagine the worst. I'm going to imagine the best, right? So when they cuts me off, I'm not going to think, oh, that guy's just a jerk or she's a jerk. I'm going to think, wow, what if that person is like kid is sick and they're racing to the hospital, right? Another thing that you can do as a correction is to think about, you know, how many people right now would love to be in my place as I'm driving along being mad right now? And I don't mean just like, like around the world, I sometimes think, you know what I hate? I, I really dislike doing the dishes. Cutting off, I'm fine with. Like, it doesn't really even bother <laughs> me that much. But like doing the dishes is a big drag. And so whenever I'm doing the dishes, what I think about as a correction is I think, how much will I want to be able to do this? How much will I want to be able to do this? How much will I want to be able to do this when I'm 80? Like when I'm 90, God willing, I live that long and I'm healthy, but how much will I want to have these legs that can stand at this sink and do this? So those are those are mental corrections that you're doing in the moment, but you can't do it without self-awareness and monitoring. It's impossible. It's just like if you don't have a through band or whatever you use, how can you know? You can't guess your heart rate variability. So you, you can't, without some way to report back and monitor it. And again, this is a black box. The brain is a black box, but having some aspect of being able to, and that's changing, of course, with technology, but you know, to be able to report back and say, oh, Ben's my coach. Every time, I guarantee you, if I want to get better at the cutoff situation and you and I are meeting once a week and you're even just asking me, this is science-based. I'm not just making this shit up. You know, if if I'm meeting with you every week and just saying, hey, you know, this is how I did, that's going to be transformative, even if I don't have techniques, even if I'm just inventing. But then it's also the techniques that I was describing in whatever context you're talking about. Love it. So it's, 
like stage stage one, step one is always that awareness, right? The self-awareness and having a, um, a mental skills coach would be amazing for so many people. If they're doing it on their own, what's, is it, um, like what's that, what's that first step? Cause I don't have somebody to report. So I don't have a level of accountability. Is it a journal? A is journal, it absolutely. meditation? 100%. Is it? No, I would say a journal. Journal. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, less is more. So like what I recommend to people, you know, those journals where it's like, they're usually for like teens, but they're journals where they have like one line or one line journal, like what I, you know, my day in one line. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's a great way uh, to do it. Um, so exactly. Each day. exactly. Yeah, that's so like, so, yeah. yeah. So something like that, like, like uh, your journal, Ben, like that is really helpful to be able to say in exactly this is how I did that day on that particular thing. Um, and then what I recommend to people is just have like some sort of, of Likert scale where you say like zero to 10, how good I did. Mm. And then write down the correction. So with people I coach, you know, I'm not like a coach where I see you once a week and buy, I have more constant contact with people I coach. And so they text me or message me and give me updates about what they're doing. And so um, and sometimes actually what I ask people, see, this is what I mean about inventing something for different people. Almost everybody I coach is like so busy running nonstop that what I actually ask them to do is just send me a voice memo, right? I just say, send me a voice memo when it happens, say what happened, say what the correction was. Super powerful. If you're doing that through the week as an athlete or as a person in finance, you got to be able to, to do it during the week. Not just, it's just like if, if, you know, I'm working out with you and you, I just work out with you for 45 minutes and I don't do it the other seven days, I'm not really going to see any gains. But if I'm doing it constantly through the week, whatever adjustment we make to my, to my workout routine, I'm going to see a major transition. How specific are you or are they, the, the people who you're coaching, on what it is they're paying attention to, what it is they're sending you a vo- voice memo about, right? The the traffic example. Is it, I want you to let me know every time you feel your heart rate spike and your frustration rise? Or is it is it broader than that? Like, how specific do you get with people in terms of, like, targeting the thing that they think is going to make them go from, you know, a 2 to a, a 10 in terms of their performance? I mean, very specific, um, in the sense that what we're looking for are the particular things and, and triggers um, that happen. So like I give you a personal example, like one of the things I identified with my poker coach, his name is Jared Tendler. He just coaches poker only, um, an amazing guy. And, you know, I, I um, when I can, I play the main event in the World Series of Poker, which is so fun. And um, it's really great because like a lot of my friends stake me. I always promise if I win, I'm going to give a point, a big part to charity. I don't win. Sorry, charity. But one day <laughs> charity is going to get like a big uh, additional gift from me. But, you know, what we identified is that when I'm playing poker, I sometimes have called what's called revenge tilt. So if someone mm. beats me in a pot, I play differently against that person than I would every other person. Mm. Right. I start to like, ah, I got to get this woman or this guy back. And so I need to be more aware of that, but I also need a correction, right? So for me, the correction is a breath and then a message that I say to myself, right? Which is, it's very simple. I just say, play my game and be a lion, right? And that's instructional self-talk, right? It's not, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do great, any of this kind of like Pollyanna stuff. It's really just instructional. Play my game is shorthand for me. It's a portable way of self-coaching in the moment. Right. And be a lion is a much larger picture. Right. That ties into my personal values. It ties into relationships. But generally, it means it's this idea that I've worked on in sports and other areas, which is that at an elite level, you don't waste your time with extraneous things. You only go for kind of the meat of it. And so, whether that's poker or that's CrossFit, whatever it is, you know, that's a helpful message to kind of bring you back to um, focusing on the core thing. It was my son's ninth birthday yesterday. We took him to the zoo. To, oh, happy saw, birthday. We saw a lion, that two lions that roared, that roared, like hearing a lion roar in person, it like goosebumps all up and back. They can be heard from five miles away. It was it was a really, so I love the be a lion thing. That's super cool. Um, the BLI. How did so, your kids relate to that when they heard it? They must have just 
what was their response? They want to go back and see the tiger. I don't know. <laughs> they were, he's more into the tiger. So, um, so with that, be a lion in that, um, kind of, you, you spoke about like how you kind of walk and navigate someone through fear and, um, like with, um, Patrick's fear of, um, uh, people paying attention. The flip side of that is confidence. What's your take on how to build, um, confidence or is it something that isn't built? It's the side effect of something else. I mean, generally, my thinking about confidence is that the, the, the best way to develop confidence is through bridging more and more challenging experiences and having survived them in good effect. So really, the best way to build confidence for, for all of us is to challenge ourselves just a little bit past what we're ready for. Not too much, but just a little bit past where we're ready for. And that you know, I know from my own development of confidence, if I think about like my sport, which is generally um, communicating with others and public speaking and engaging people, that's all come from that. I, it's very difficult to generate that on your own. Right. And so it really comes from challenging yourself and putting yourself in increasingly um, environments with slightly more friction, I would say. Right. Meaning more and more challenging. But it also involves how good you are um, at mastering, you know, two elements of being. I always think of there's three elements to being a human. Thoughts, feelings, and actions. And what I'm saying basically is that actions get you confidence more than anything else. Acting, not dying, right? And I'm only really joking around a little bit. Like it's just getting through it and realizing, oh, okay, I can do that. But also thoughts are important. Um, not in the sense of, this, you know, our brains are this just random generator that just said, like what Patrick was talking about, our brains are saying stuff all day long, right? Like I, even on this, if, if we were just totally transparent with the whole audience, they would be shocked at the kind of things that three of us have thought during this. We all think all kinds of stuff. It's just a random number generator a lot of the time. And a lot of them are not helpful. So you can't control your thoughts, but you most certainly, and anyone who tells you to control your thinking is really out to lunch. And there's a lot of that in my field. It's just not helpful to do that. You can't control your thoughts. But you can certainly decide to respond to your thoughts in different ways, right? And so confidence to me is a result of two things, largely. Putting yourself in environments where you have the ability to be successful, but they challenge you a little bit. Um, and then also getting really good at, at managing um, your inner voice, which we all have. Going back again to the... Um that because it sounds like what you're doing there is going back to your poker example is um, you find this revenge mechanism that gets triggered and um, there's thoughts that go through your mind or maybe it's just a feeling that you need to get back at this person. But then you said um, like you took a breath. Like why the breath? Like why, what's the breath do? You know, there you did. You just took the breath. Good job. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I believe me, man. I mean, I don't, I don't recommend anything to people I don't do, man. Right? You know, like I took a breath, and you know, it's funny because, um, you know, we're talking a lot about kids. Um, if you watch kids when they're sleeping, they just breathe the way that I teach athletes all the time. Or you watch your dog, right? I was telling you guys, I got this micro dog, this like five pound dog, and you know, I watch, it's so weird for me because I've always had big dogs, like I've always had like big mutts, but my younger daughter. You know, we, we lost our dog a little while ago. We got this this new dog because she, you know, lobbied for it. You watch this dog sleep. It sleeps like any. I mean, if I, if all the athletes I coach and these business folks I coach breathe like my dog or, or your nine-year-old, like when they sleep, we'd be good. Um, you know, I was talking to when I wrote. So like, what is that oh, way? What is that? How? What is the way that they breathe? Yeah. So, so in the most basic terms. Anybody, you know, there's, there is some, I think, yoga CrossFit overlap. So the people that do yoga also, you know, know that, you know, what, the way that we really are naturally meant to breathe when we're not stressed, when we're not overwhelmed is through our gut, through our abdomen, using our diaphragm, which is this band of muscle right below your rib cage. And, you know, when we get tense, we tend to breathe short breaths and we breathe with our chest and it's constricting. And that, there, you know, one way to tell our body how it needs to be is to breathe in a more adaptive way. And a lot of times what we're doing is telling our body how it needs to be. And so breath, why breath? Because, you know, we're not like ready for the environment that we're in. 
like this, even this environment where I'm talking to you over this podcast and driving and stress and all this stuff, like our bodies are meant to kind of like go to sleep at 8 p.m. And this is my belief and wake up with the light and eat with people and run and walk a lot. And we're not meant to do the kind of things we do. And so we accumulate all this stress. And so when in these moments where we feel this, we're turning to the most basic tools uh, and reminding ourselves that we're human. You know, a lot of this is about um, dealing with your nervous system first before you deal with any of this other fancy stuff we're talking about and being able to say, I'm going to take a breath because I won't have access to my brain if I don't take a breath. Like the reason to take a breath is not because it's magical. It's because you're more likely, like if I'm a major league baseball player and I, some, I, you know, I, I throw up my best pitch and someone rockets it out the park for a home run. Maybe it's the second time it happened in this past, you know, homestand. And, you know, I'm going to go to a predator place. I'm going to go to a place where I'm scared. And so taking a breath helps calm my nervous system down. So then I can think about what do I want to do? Like, how do I want to approach this next situation? So if I'm trying to avoid revenge tilt or you're trying to not yell at someone, taking a breath is a good step. Like if you're in the car and, you know, and by the way, I live in New York City, like, you know, road rage out here is like <laughs> lethal. So I totally identify with that. Um, you know, to be able to actually, you know, what people do all the time too, is like, like punish each other. So they, they drive slow to like, you know, someone it's like all really deep. It's really deep. It's so to be able to go to your breath in that moment gives you access to like, how do you want to really be here to a higher order of self-regulation? You mentioned when you were talking about your work, I think if I heard you correctly, you refer to it as your sport. And I know that your the book you wrote a few years ago is called Life is Sport. Can you maybe unpack how your work, which isn't a sport, at least as classically thought of as a sport and how we can live life as a sport. What do you mean by that? And, and what does that look like in, in, in practice, thinking about life as a sport? I just woke up one day having coached Major League Baseball players and football players. And I woke up one day and I was like, wait, maybe all these things I'm doing, I can really translate them to working with bankers and working with um, parents and working with uh, people who are CEOs and entrepreneurs and all this. And that then I realized actually I'm, I was already doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But I started to formalize it in the sense that my first idea about being life is sport is that all the same mental skills that we teach high performers are valuable for everyday people. All the things we've been talking about are valuable in CrossFit, but they're also valuable for your home life. There's also this change in how people are thinking about things about like work-life balance and people don't really know how to bridge those two things so to me life is sport combines those ideas it's saying you can live your life like a sport you can use all those techniques and philosophies and competitiveness that athletes use to be a great dad and to be a great husband a great wife a great partner um, and that you can bring that same spirit of being your best self to all aspects of your life, not just your job, but your entire self. And then getting back to this enjoyment thing, to me, I was shocked at working at the highest levels of sport, how many people didn't find joy anymore in what they do. Hmm. And that's true in finance and that's true in other areas. People just get so focused on winning that they lose sight of that this is such a gift. To be an elite athlete, to be a dad, to be in a relationship, um, to have a business, it's such a gift. And so to me, those things fuel each other. Once you can find ways, simple ways, by the way, like simple, I mean, for me, I just think about, you know, I was listening to, I was, I was uh, talking to someone about this meditation about um, imagining that your life is someone else's dream. Like the life you lead, we always think about what I don't have, right? Like I don't have this, don't have this car, don't have this thing, don't have this body, you know, don't have this. But to think about like right now, how many people, there's 8 billion people or approaching 8 billion people, like how many people would want this? My problems would just die to have my, not in a sense that you should say, oh, shut up, don't worry. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Like it's not to say like uh, you shouldn't complain or feel, but, but a sense of, well, if I thought that way, maybe it'll shift how much I can enjoy and be good at this challenge, right? So I think it's giving people, life as sport is giving people method to have a growth mindset and a, a mindset of gratitude. 
Yeah, I, I love that. It's very cool. I like um, that saying, if we all threw our problems in a pile, we'd be really quick to pull our problems back. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we, one of the things we say a lot is, um, you know, turn your have to's into get to's. You know, you don't have to go to the exactly. store. You don't have to go to the work. You don't have to go to the gym. You get to do all those things. And that just that, that reframing of things is super powerful. And it sounds like, you know, through this discussion, checking out your work that, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's curious. It's um, maybe counterintuitive that someone like yourself um, working with people at the peak of their game that your 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 focus seems to be like fulfillment, like happy. Hap, you mentioned in the beginning, like the joy, and um, I think you said happiness. It's the center of being a human being. Like it seems strange that your job is essentially to get somebody to catch more touchdown passes, but this is the avenue. Like it's still not like um, the connection still doesn't seem as concrete as like a, a, a I don't want to say, but a, a, like a physical performance coach. How did you, cause, well, let me, I, let, me let me ask this. I was going what is the goal? What is your goal for when you're working with athletes? Is it to improve their performance or is it to improve their satisfaction and fulfillment with their lives? Or is it the same? Uh, you know, it's a really good question. It's both. Um, and my view is that there's a certain 1% that you can't reach without meaning and joy and enjoyment. So I can get most people through standard means, just mental skills training, right? So teaching them these techniques, getting them to use uh, a mindful approach to to have a practice of meditation, doing these things that are pretty, you know, most people do in my field. But that last 1%, that elusive percent, that kind of, you know, we all want to get into this flow state, right? And this flow state is this sense where our ability matches the moment. And how do you get there? No one knows. We just know that there's ideal set of conditions that make it more likely. For me, this missing ingredient is the sense of joy and wonder and connection to what you do. Hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, like for me, I, I, I get the most joy out of both seeing people reach their full potential, but also feeling more meaning um, in that potential. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much, Dr. Fader. Where, what are you working on now? Where would you like to point some attention towards, um, if anything? Well, people can certainly find me and learn more about my work at jonathanfader.com. Um, we're working on a, uh, we've, we've put out a really interesting uh, podcast called The Great Parts, which interviews people like John Bon Jovi and um, poker players like Andy Duke, um, Ryan Holiday on topics about how to find this joy and meaning and great parts in life. So you can certainly check that out and you can find me at Dr. Fader at Twitter or Jonathan Fader on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody out My there pleasure. for listening, for your ratings and your reviews. And Ben and I will be back for another episode of Chasing Excellence next week. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.